0: Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Swinney, along with my co-host, Bonnie Quinn. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg
1: experts, along with essential market-moving news.
0: Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and on Bloomberg.com. Well, I think I just figured out why Tom Keene was not in today. He is home with his computer online shopping, and I'm sure he's got a lot of a other folks there joining him. It's supposed to be a record Cyber Monday here as more and more people shop online, abandon the stores and go online. John Copeland, VP of Marketing and Customer Insights at Adobe. Uh, He joins us. Adobe is based in San Jose, California. So John, give us the early, early read here of a Black Friday going into a Cyber Monday leading us to uh, the final weeks of holiday
2: shopping. Yeah, so it's been a record breaking Thanksgiving weekend already with over $23.5 billion in online sales. That's a 23% increase over last year. Today, Cyber Monday, we are expecting a day to break all previous records for US online sales coming in somewhere between 10.8 and 12.7 billion dollars. That'll be somewhere between a 15 and 33% increase over last year.
0: So it's interesting, um, you know, you you think about those numbers that you just mentioned, uh, John, in terms of, you know, the overall numbers and, the, and some of the growth rates and so on. It's just extraordinary given what's going on in the world, given uh, the yeah. tough times that many consumers find themselves in here as a result of the pandemic and unemployment. seems like a lot of this unemployment is now chronic unemployment. What do you make of it?
2: Yeah, you know, what, part of what we're seeing is really people – trying to um, have as much of a kind of normal Christmas and celebration as, as possible, right? I mean, I've I've seen a lot of stories about people setting up their Christmas decorations, even before Thanksgiving. In fact, we, we did that in our house this year, trying to uh, have more of that kind of traditional end-of-year holiday spirit in the context of this really, really challenging year. And so People are doing what they can to try and and bring as much of a normal end-of-year holiday home as they can.
0: All right. So, John, we already saw, obviously, even before the pandemic, uh, a years-long trend of more and more share of retail sales going to uh, online. It seems to have been dramatically accelerated here during the pandemic. Is there any reason to think that post-pandemic, it's going to kind of ebb and maybe go the other way? Or is, or is some of these market shifts that we've seen, are they more permanent? Yeah,
2: you know, that's the question everybody's really asking and interested in. We expect that, you know, a good chunk of this new digital behavior uh, will probably stick around as consumers are finding out that, you know, the convenience of online ordering and either having it delivered to their home or being able to, to pick up in the store um, even through contactless delivery has just become so convenient for them. it'll probably bounce back and you know people will be doing a lot offline as as soon as they can and as soon as they uh, feel safe and, and comfortable doing that. But um, you know we, we've continued to see this digital increase certainly during the holidays, for example, a good thirteen to fifteen percent a year. This year is really like two years of growth packed into a single year, wow. um, and that's really going to be hard for people to to step away from. Um, even when they can.
0: So that kind of goes to the question, you know, when you you talk about retail, whenever you have a discussion, maybe even over the last decade or so, it comes to the question of to what extent is the U.S. uh, retail footprint over stored? And then when you get, you know, a a period that we're going through right now where we're seeing uh, so many people uh, going over to e-commerce, it kind of brings that question to the fore yet again. What's your thought about that as you look at the U.S. retail landscape?
2: Yeah, I think this year has really shown that, I, I don't know so much about being overstored, but certainly maybe under-digitaled, <laughs> if you okay. will. Um, and, and that's one of the things that we see a lot of businesses pushing into accelerating their digital transformations this year. Retail, as well as other sectors of the economy, really pushing hard into digital. And as that happens, uh, we expect to see even more kind of fundamental disruptions uh, to the way you know business models work. And and if you're not in a digital channel it's going to be really really difficult. So,
0: John, give us a sense of what's hot this holiday season from a product perspective and maybe what's not.
2: Yeah, so one of the well, instead of the the what's not, I can I can definitely tell you for example the electronic game platforms, you know, right. PS5, um, Xbox and and all of the games that go with them, so NBA 2K21, Madden NFL 21, Just Dance 2020, really hot right now. Um, In in terms of toys more generally, Star Wars toys are are really big. Um, Nerf is really big right now. Paw Patrol, (laughs) right? Um, We expect to see a lot with, you know, even still uh, continuing successes of like LOL Surprise uh, and uh, Hatchimals uh, will continue to be strong this uh, holiday season.
0: So, John, you know, we saw in the beginning of the pandemic, some of these uh, retailers, uh, para-retailers filed for bankruptcy. Are we going to see more of that in 2021?
2: Uh, that's really tough to say. I think as, as retailers are figuring out how to make digital work and they're pushing harder to get more sales through there, um, hopefully that will tide them over while the economy, you know, begins to get back to normal as we start to see, you know, light at the end of the tunnel and the vaccines become available and and hopefully, you know, things can begin to turn around in uh, 2021.
0: Hey, John, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. We know you're busy this time of the year. John Copeland, VP of Marketing and Customer Insights at Adobe based in San Jose, uh, California. You know, generally a, what we're hearing here is retail sales here during uh, this uh, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, generally pretty healthy when given everything that we are dealing with. So there's that for the consumer. Let's switch gears right now and talk about commodities, particularly uh, crude oil. And there's really no one better to do that with than Ellen Wald, president of Transversal Consulting. She's also a Bloomberg opinion contributor. So, Ellen, love to talk to you about OPEC. What do you expect for their upcoming meeting here? I'm looking at WTI crude at $45. Seems kind of range bound here. What are you looking for?
1: Yeah. So, <clears throat> thank you. We're we're looking for uh, at, at this point. We're not looking for any big uh, resolution today. It seems like uh, the OPEC group is going to push that off until tomorrow, when larger OPEC plus group, including Russia, meets. But the expectation is that they are uh, going to agree to extend their current quotas for another three months, so into uh, the first quarter of. 2021. And that will be a change right now. They're actually scheduled to increase production by 2 million barrels per day come January 1st. And it's interesting because oil has trended upwards uh, recently, uh, mostly on uh, positive vaccine news. But uh, there are a lot of fears in terms of demand. There's really a a lot of demand weakness in Europe and the United States that doesn't look like it's going to resolve itself anytime soon. And so uh, there's a lot of fears that if OPEC doesn't come through with the this three-month extension, that um, we could be seeing an end to this uh, oil rally.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I'm glad you brought up kind of, kind of where the, the oil is trading here. You take a look at the equity markets, for example, and they're you know, as in the month of November, all-time highs, uh, tremendous records for performance within a month. A lot of that uh, based upon the expectations that the vaccines, in fact, are coming, the economies will, in fact, open up next year, and you need to make your bets today Are you surprised that oil hasn't traded better?
1: I'm, I'm not surprised that oil hasn't traded better. I'm, I'm actually surprised that it, that this rally has been sustained for as long as it has, because the fundamentals are really not very good when you're looking at demand. And also, uh, when you're looking at supply, we've got um, Libyan oil production coming back on the market. And so that's adding, could add another million barrels a day, regardless of what OPEC uh, decides. So we've got lagging demand. These vaccines aren't really going to be, uh, you know, in the general, you know, available to people all over the world until well into 2021. So I think oil is really looking at um, kind of a a shorter term than the markets are. But uh, so it's interesting that the um, rally we saw around the initial vaccine news has been maintained. And Mm -hmm. uh, it does seem like it's up to OPEC a a bit to uh, keep uh, or sustain or kind of put a floor on uh, oil prices.
0: So, Ellen, what do you think? Or what's what are you hearing from the folks you talk to in in the global energy space? What does a Biden administration mean, and and, and what does it mean for kind of global oil supply? Uh, how do you think about that?
1: Yeah, this is, this is the big question on everyone's mind. And it definitely means more support for alternative energies. But the big question is, what does it mean for U.S. production? Because that's really been a game changer in the oil industry over the past few years. Right now, the U.S. has backed off of its production highs. Uh, but that really was, was expected even uh, before uh, the, the COVID-19 pandemic kind of uh, uh, demolished a lot of production in uh, the shale industry. But I think what we're looking at are further consolidation in the shale oil industry. There are big companies out there that are doing production, and I think they will fare uh, fairly well under a Biden administration because a lot of the uh, new regulations that he's looking at will actually be beneficial to them and will help keep smaller producers uh, from really getting into the game.
0: But what about shale in general here? It seems like it's been, as you mentioned, kind of a real game changer for uh, global supply uh, as the U.S. has become a, actually a net exporter here. Is the expectation that the the best days of the U.S. shale patch are in the rearview mirror?
1: I do think that the, the, hay, the production hay days are definitely in the rearview mirror. But remember that it was actually under the Obama administration that the U.S. Uh, finally ended the oil export ban and became a player in the global oil market. So I don't think we're looking to see a reversal of that in any case. I do think a big question, though, is what's going to happen with China, because uh, the Trump administration did succeed in getting China to agree to purchase uh, a fairly large amount of oil and energy products from the United States. They haven't quite followed through on that, but they have made a very significant um, uh, mark uh, towards that goal. And so I think that everyone is going to be really wondering, where's the Biden administration going to go with this? Are we going to to see more? Is he going to hold China to this promise? Or is that kind of out out the window?
0: So as it relates to China, uh, Ellen, we've seen them, you know, weather the pandemic, Uh, they are on the other side uh, of the the pandemic, we're starting to see the economy put up some uh, decent growth numbers as the economy opens up. Have we seen that in the global energy markets? Have the Chinese been stepping up their purchases on the global uh, crude market?
1: Yeah, absolutely. China is really, uh, I think, where a lot, and China is where a lot of the big um, national oil producers, uh, Saudi Arabia, UAE, are really focusing their attention because um, they've issued new uh, quotas for the independent refineries, so that means that those refineries are going to be drawing down oil stocks. They're going to be uh, taking in more crude oil, uh, refining, making more products, and shipping that out, and um, they're really looking at China to kind of be uh, a bright spot in in, uh, the oil demand picture.
0: So where, where do we see that? Like, Do we see that in just the price of oil? Do we track shipments? And if we track shipments, do we track them from certain suppliers? How do, how do you track that?
1: Yeah, so we definitely look at um, at loadings that uh, go to Asia to China and and how that's going, but also the number of ships that are actually sitting waiting uh, in ports in Asia to unload their product. Uh, sometimes that can be really backed up when um, you know when refineries aren't taking uh, aren't taking uh, crude right. oil in, and so as we see those stocks decline, uh, that's an indication, and usually oil prices do respond uh, when we get uh, word that. These, uh, th- these ships are actually unloading their oil. Yeah.
0: Hey, Ellen, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate that. At interesting times in the global energy space, Ellen Wald, president of Transversal Consulting and a Bloomberg uh, opinion contributor, we appreciate her thoughts as always. We've been hearing from the good folks like Dave Wilson, Sarah Ponzek this morning about what a record-setting month uh, it was for equity markets in the month of November. That's all well and good, but the cynic in me says, okay, now what do I do? Well, Matt Maley, Chief Market Strategist at Miller-Tabek, and I found over the Maley Report, hopefully he'll have some answers for me. So, Matt, we've had an extraordinary run here in November, driven in large part by some really positive news on the vaccine front, and we had some more good news today. Um, what is your thought for the remainder of the year, heading into 2021? Given that, boy, those pandemic numbers are just getting worse and worse.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's certainly something to be concerned about, no question. I, I'm actually more, a little bit more concerned about it next year than I am this year. And for the main the main reason, well, first of all, today's pullback is is no big surprise. I mean, we've had this great run, and I mean, especially the Russell 2000, I mean, I was up over 20% uh, in just a month. So the fact that it's down almost, well, about percent and a half today is not a big deal. It needs to digest those gains in the overall market. It may have to do that for a couple of days. But uh, the liquidity situation is still very strong, and it's Kind of weird. I mean, we went back of uh, whatever was, six, eight years ago. And people were talking about, hey, you know, if the uh, if the, if the economy starts to slow down, uh, the Fed will add a little more stimulus or do more QE, so we don't have to worry. If the economy does better, well, that's good. We don't have to worry about that. So it was kind of a win-win. Now we're looking at that with. And I know as oddly as it sounds, the virus uh, and the uh, the lockdowns that are going with it and the concerns about the slowing growth will, I believe, uh, entice the the Fed to. Keep Keep their uh, liquidity spigots wide open uh, through the end of the year and into the early next year, Uh, much like they did last year for a very different reason. They did it last year because we had remember we had the big repo problem in the fall of last year, and they needed to keep the liquidity
0: spigots open then. But I think both will will lead into a very similar year, uh, continued year in rally. So Matt, what we've certainly seen—not just in the month of November, but really since you know our September-ish or so—is that uh, that rotation trade. People kind of lightening up a little bit. Some of those tried and true big tech names, whether it's an Amazon or an Apple, uh, and kind of rotating into the names that will benefit uh, with a rebound in the economy, presumably sometime in 2021. Cyclicals, small caps, so on and so forth. So, is that a trade you like? If so, do you still like it here heading into 2021?
3: I do, but maybe not as much as I think a lot of people uh, are. Uh, and, and the reason for this is, is that I think a lot of people seem to be wanting to throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to tech. Now, I certainly understand why uh, tech, some of these technology stocks, the mega cap names, um, you know, without that kind of, uh, you know, with the vaccine and such, we're not saying, well, Jesus, lockdown, stay at home is going to stay with us for a long time. So I'm not going to be willing to pay the huge valuations for these mega cap names. But, boy, the, the, some of the, uh, you know, especially the chips, stocks they act very very well making new highs you have other stocks away from uh, uh, check uh, te- uh, sorry the chip names like a uh, seagate technologies western digital things like that so my point is tech is not dead by any stretch of the imagination so do some rotating into value but also do some rotating within technology i think that will bode well as we go into uh, into next
0: year um you know, I bring up the dreaded E-word, energy. Uh, we've got WTI crude at $45 a barrel. Um, one could argue that if the economy is primed to open up on a global scale sometime mid-next year, as these vaccines become more widely available, that perhaps that bodes well for the energy infrastructure, and it's certainly been beaten down over the last several years. Is that a sector you have some courage for? I do. I mean, obviously, it's had a, a, a huge run here over the last, uh, you know,
3: two uh, really two months now, uh, particularly in the last month, but also uh, really for two months. And the XLE, uh, which is the Energy ETF, and of course, the XOP, which also includes some of the uh, 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 r- 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 sorry, uh, uh, drilling names. Uh, but the point is that uh, they are overbought. They could pull back a little bit over near term, but they're also... So very cheap, and you think about rotation. I mean, it, people are going to need. If this group moves up, especially institutional players, they're going to they they are so underweight this group. As it rallies, especially into the new year, if they're very underweighted, they're going to have to reweight their their, their uh, holdings. But more importantly, on a fundamental basis, well, last time oil uh, the, the uh, XLE and the XOP were trading at these levels, oil was at thirty two dollars. Now it's at forty five. Even if it comes in a little bit, they're still cheap to their underlying. Uh, uh, commodities. So I think uh, this is a group that uh, on, on a both a, a, a re-weighting uh, play uh, and on a fundamental basis is going to do a lot better than a lot of people think. And if oil can hold up in, in the mid-40s, it doesn't have to take off, but it holds up in the, in the mid-40s, and especially if it rallies more, it's really going to move because the institutions have to pile into the group. So uh, I'm a lot more bullish on this group than a lot of other people. You need to be careful. I'm not saying yep. jump in like you would the tech group, but uh, it's, it's a nice play.
0: Hey, how about just about uh, 20, 30 seconds. Uh, Banks, big banks here. Uh, Again, another unloved group. Is it time to take a look at them on the anticipation of a better 21?
3: Well, it's, you know, again, a very cheap group, so it's, I think it's a good play. The, the key is what's going to happen to interest rates. To, to me, to, to be honest with you, uh, for short term traders, I think this thing can to continue to rally because I think rates will hold up and I think the yield curve will continue to steepen. Uh, but as we move into next year and we get to some of the, uh, I, I think we're going to have a little bit less look, uh, stimulus than a lot of people are hoping for from both the Fed and the, and, and the Congress, uh, that will cause those uh, banks to take a little bit of a hiccup. So long term players that want to be a little careful, short term traders, I
0: think you can. Ride the way
3: for, for a couple more months.
0: Matt Maley, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Matt Maley, Chief Market Strategist at Miller Tabeck and founder of the Maley Report. It is time for Bloomberg Opinion. We're joined today by Chris Hughes, deals columnist for Bloomberg Opinion. And what deal, you may ask? Well, it is Merger Monday, and we've got a big one. S&P Global, the data company, buying another data company, IHS, market for about $39 billion in stock. Chris, thanks so much for joining us here. This is a big deal. Tell us about this deal. What's kind of the strategy be putting these two big global data players uh, together. And I should note before you go on that Bloomberg LP does compete uh, both against S&P uh, and IHS markets. So uh, Chris, what do you think is real drivers behind this this deal?
4: I think it's, it's probably two or three things. I mean, one is that this industry is consolidating. We've already seen some uh, quite interesting combinations already. So think about the combination of uh, London Stock Exchange uh, and Refinitiv uh, and um, the, so there have been deals happening already so the, the, the trend is towards consolidation and then if you think about what this combination does it brings together the S P brand which is very strong uh, with uh, IHS's uh, um, uh, other uh, data services so you end up with a combination which has got um, more, offer, more to offer and uh, to, to more customers. So you can cross-sell the offering between the two customer bases. Um, and uh, with that scale, you become you know, a much stronger company. And then presumably you can do more deals after that. It's
0: interesting. You know, I've, when I was a research analyst, I spent some time looking at this industry. And for a long time, uh, it was a very sleepy industry. Investors didn't pay much attention to it. There wasn't a lot of value assigned to it. But it just seems like in the last decade, as you mentioned, there's been a lot of consolidation. It's really taken off and the valuations we're seeing here are just extraordinary. What are some of the new businesses that these companies are generating off of their, um, this, this data that they have and the analytics that they have and, and why scale might be important?
4: You know, there's a whole plethora of, of, of new products. I mean, one of them, of course, is in uh, ESG, Environmental, Social and uh, yeah. Governance Research and Analytics. And you know, we saw a deal um, uh, the other day in Europe with Deutsche Börse and ISS. So uh, there is uh, you know, a whole uh, array of uh, new data points. If you think about where uh, IHS market started off, where market started off, Um, you know way back when it was really just looking at um, you know prices in the credit market and that has obviously now become a much much bigger business and as you say the valuations put on these companies are much bigger as it happens actually these two um, have seen their valuations converge so they're 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 merging from a point of, of parity but the increase both in and in the, in the valuation multiples and the and the and the of these companies has been quite tremendous over the last few years.
0: So Chris it seems like you know you you mentioned that there's been a lot of consolidation in this space so fewer and fewer players it suggests to me that the regulatory risk here is not insubstantial. Um, what's what's the view on the street?
4: Yeah like I think that I think that you have to take that into consideration because you know the 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 sheer Size of this combination, the complexity of it, uh, does is going to attract uh, regulatory scrutiny, and that in turn, obviously, will add you know time and uncertainty to whether it actually completes. Now, the market is giving a, a cautious welcome to the combination. Mm-hmm. The other possible risk, obviously, is of a of a counter bid for uh, IHS markets. So, on the one hand, regulators we'll want to have a look. But on the other hand, maybe uh, uh, alternative transactions may emerge, especially as the price being paid for uh, IHS, even though it's a big number at um, around about sort of $44 billion um, uh, uh, on a debt-free basis, is actually quite a low premium on where IHS was trading last week. So that could be an invitation to somebody to come in and try and break it up. So there are Indeed, you know, quite a few uncertainties around whether this will actually go from, you know, announcement to uh, to full completion.
0: So, Chris, if I'm an M&A banker in this space, am I just dialing for dollars here today telling all my clients, hey, this industry, you need to get bigger or you need to get out? Do you expect to see even more deals? Are there more to be done or is this – are we coming towards the kind of the, the later innings of consolidating the global data business?
4: I think you're probably close to the mark um, – with the former than the latter, uh, even though we are now seeing the emergence of some, you know, really, really large players, it doesn't feel like, you know, this is completely done yet. And as you say, if you, uh, if you pass on the consolidation, the risk is that you end up being a rather small local player and you don't really get that scale that enables you to go truly global. And I, I think that that might be what we're seeing in Europe, actually, where you know, Europe hasn't really seen uh, a, a truly you know, global uh, scale uh, operator in this, uh, in this uh, industry emerge. How far does it go? Well, if you think about the nature of the deals that have been going on here, we've seen more and more diversification. So deals that you know, would have raised an eyebrow, you have thought, well, that's not, not a logical combination, now appear logical in terms of just offering more and more Uh, diversification, a greater variety of data to a larger pool of uh, end customers seems to be what is driving uh, deal makers and CEOs uh, in the space, which means that you could easily see uh, a combination certainly among the exchanges. Uh, I mean, uh, if you think about intercontinental exchange, it'll be very interesting to see how they react to this combination. So I don't think we're in any way done yet.
0: Hey, Chris Hughes, thank you so much uh, for joining us here. Chris Hughes, Bloomberg Opinion Deals columnist, talking about the S&P IHS deal. Again, a huge deal in that data uh, analytics space, enterprise value, 44 Billion dollars, just an extraordinary uh, kind of multiples there that we're seeing. Uh, and we should note that again, uh, Bloomberg LP uh, competes with both S&P uh, as well as IHS market in the global data and analytics uh, business. But again, it looks like more uh, consolidation in that space, uh, data becoming more and more valuable going forward in a digital world. And it seems to be like a lot of markets, it's all about scale.